If you'll find in your Bibles, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. Luke 18, 18, if you could stand with me, uh, if you're able, as we read God's word. Uh, let me read for us, starting in verse 18 and, and through uh, verse 30. Uh, this will bring us right up to the text that uh, we took up on Good Friday, starting in verse 31, uh, when Jesus looks to Jerusalem and tells what he's about to do there. And so we're sort of catching back up with that, starting in verse 18. Would you hear then the word of the Lord to you? And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who could be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. And would you keep your Bibles open uh, as we open God's word uh, together? Well, what can change someone from a bad student to a good student? Um, There's many good answers to that. Uh, In in my life, it was uh, meeting my future wife, Amy, who's home with sick children today, so it's a fair game right now uh, as she tunes in. My lovely wife, uh, we were uh, dating in college. I, I I was a terrible high school student. I was an okay college student, um, but as in my relationship with Amy, as we sort of got to that intangible place, you're, you're not starting to really talk about marriage, but you sort of both know uh, as time goes on, you're getting closer to this potential reality when this might be the woman that I marry, and uh, uh, certain things become more real when you start thinking about that. And uh, as I got more and more excited, more and more in love with this woman, uh, school became something different for me. It all of a sudden, uh, uh, just sort of just skimming by and, and just showing up and just reading half the books and, and, and some of the habits I was in, I realized was, was not helping me in my goal to love this woman and, and, and care for her one day. And so suddenly I became a student who stayed late in the library studying um, and, and things that I never would have thought of. And I started taking some uh, education classes because for a while I thought I was going to do that. Um, and so uh, it, it sort of transformed the way I saw because I saw something I valued and I was willing 
to do whatever it took uh, to have uh, this treasure in uh, a property that you, that you come upon as you're looking for property. And as you're looking at it, you realize there, there's this buried treasure in this property. It's a pretty expensive property. Uh, but you realize the worth of this treasure is, is so incredible that it's not foolishness for you to run to the bank to pull out everything you have and pay every last penny for the property because it's not really loss, is it? It's gain. You gain the treasure. Uh, you gain this a pearl of great price. You, you gain something that's everything. Today, Jesus interacts with a young ruler who misses that, who hears of Jesus calling him to surrender everything, and he just sees the cost, and he's very sad and presumably walks away. My prayer for you today is that you would see the cost, and, and that's the call, surrender all, but you surrender all to gain everything. In other words, this isn't a, uh, a self-denial, a, a just sort of giving up of physical things just for the sake of it, a detachment mentality. This is an exchange. Jesus calls us to leave everything behind and follow him, because if you do, you will gain everything, namely him and all the good things that he wants to give you through his grace. And so would you surrender everything uh, this morning, whether for the first time uh, or uh, if you're like me, a believer for many priority, and look again to Jesus himself. Would you do that with me this morning? Surrender all. Uh, surrender all. You'll see an outline in your bulletins if that's helpful to you uh, as, we, as we move through the passage. And so surrender all. What, what do we surrender? Number one, we surrender false security. Uh, false security. Uh, you come to the passage with me in verse 18. Uh, we see a ruler. We don't know what type of ruler he is, uh, if he has you know, political power. Uh, perhaps he's an elder in Israel. Uh, he's a man of some prominence. We learn later that he is very rich. And he comes and asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, on the face of it, this seems like a good, sincere question. You know, good teacher. Uh, he's, he's calling Jesus rabbi, and so Jesus is. He's, uh, he is the good teacher. And yet, I, I think Luke wants us to think back to another time. In Luke chapter 10, uh, you'll hear very similar words. Uh, Behold, a lawyer stood up uh, to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then we get the parable... Um, of, the, of the Good Samaritan, the man on the road that needed help, and Jesus is trying to help this man see, no, weeper, Samaritan. But the man, desiring to justify himself, said, and who is my neighbor? Uh, these are those who Jesus would say they are trying to justify themselves. And I think we read that into this ruler coming to him as it plays out. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or to use Luke's language right around here, it's synonymous with what does it mean to enter the kingdom of God? What has Jesus been preaching from the very beginning of this gospel? The, the good news of the kingdom of God. And what does it mean to enter it? But notice the man sort of gets it wrong. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And as we're going to see, Jesus gives the commands, and he seems to think, well, I've done it. So is there anything else? I just want to make sure. In other words, this man is operating from a place of false security. He's a leader of prominence. 
uh, with wealth, which at the time was seen as a sign of blessing. If you had wealth, God was blessing you. And if you didn't have wealth, uh, surely there was some sin in your life. And so we see a man coming to uh, the good teacher, but kind of wanting to hear what he wants to hear. Uh, Maybe Jesus will give him just a simple extra step (laughs) that he could do to sort of show Jesus and show everyone that he's good. But as we know, Jesus isn't going to be happy to do that. Uh, Jesus is our great prophet who cuts right to the heart. Because the man is saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if, if you remember, we, we were here you know, last fall, but uh, in, in verse 9 of the same chapter, you have the, the, uh, uh, the, the self-righteous Pharisee who uh, compares himself to the tax collector even as he prays. He thinks of all the good things he does versus the tax collector who says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man went home justified. That man entered the kingdom. And then we have, let the children come to me. Verses 15 through 17, where Jesus says, Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It's no accident that Luke puts that right before the ruler's question. Jesus has just said, it's the one who says, Woe is me, a sinner, have mercy on me. It's one who, like a child, enters the kingdom of God. And here we have a ruler coming, uh, not with this same attitude. But again, Jesus will confront him with this. Uh, He he sort of calls the bluff and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, we don't know if Jesus winked. I think he might have winked. (laughs) I don't know. The Greek doesn't tell us. Uh, But right, we read that and say, well, Jesus, you are God. (laughs) Um, and, and, And that's not Jesus' point here. Uh, but of course, Jesus knows that too. I think, I think he's sort of peeling the bluff back that this man is coming looking very spiritual. You know, what must I do to inherit it? I'm willing to do anything. But Jesus calls the bluff. You know, he's calling him good teacher, sort of ingratiating himself with Jesus. Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. And then he says, you know the commandments. In other words, okay, if you want to talk about what must I do, what, what pleases God, Okay, let's talk about that. Let's go to Exodus 20. Let's go to the Ten Commandments. And he lays them out. Do not commit adultery, murder, steal, bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Uh, These are what we call the second table of the law that have to do with our neighbor. Uh, The first table of the law, the first four commandments dealing with our relationship with God. Uh, it seems that Jesus, you know, there would have been an understanding, of course, the first table of the law. So if he talks about the second, he's sort of summarizing. You might notice something's missing there, and we'll come back to that. But he lays out these commandments, uh, and what does the man say? Does the man say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? No, he says, all of these I have kept from my youth. It's an interesting answer to give. Uh, it, it, now, at this level, give too much bad credit to this man. I mean, in one sense, in one sense, on a surface level, probably he hasn't murdered, probably he hasn't stolen, he probably honored his father and mother just fine. And so, I, I think Jesus is trying to get below the depth to the heart of these commandments, and because Jesus says in verse twenty-one, um, sorry, in verse twenty-two, uh, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, 
follow me. And come follow me. We'll deal more with this man's uh, relationship with riches in a moment, but you could see what Jesus is doing. This man comes to him very self-confidently, uh, thinking Jesus might give him a few things to do or things to confirm what he already believes about himself, that he's right before God. And Jesus is just peeling that back and saying, God is good. Here's his commandments. Let me put them before you. And as we'll see, he leaves one out that cuts to the heart as well. So Jesus calls on this man to surrender his false sense of security. No, give that up. Come follow me. Leave everything behind and follow me. I'm not here to give you one piece of advice. I'm here to lead you. I'm here to be your king and your shepherd, your prophet and your priest. Surrender false security. Number two, surrender deceitful riches. Imagine maybe what this man's face was like. You know, he's thinking, oh, the commandments, I've kept them from my youth. And Jesus says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this call for this man is very interesting, and Christians have debated throughout for 2,000 years, what's the relationship of Jesus' call to this man? He says, sell everything you have, all of it, right? We're going to sing later in the service, I surrender all. Um, Before that hymn was ever written, Jesus is looking this man in the eye and saying, literally, give all that you have, distribute to the poor, and then come follow me. So, how does this relate to us? I think we need to avoid some extremes. One extreme uh, spiritualizes this to the point that says this has nothing really to do with us. This man had a riches problem. I don't. (laughs) Um, And so good for him. Jesus was calling him, has nothing to do with me. And so I could just sort of read on and uh, carry on, right? Uh, Anything else, Jesus? If there's something else I lack? (laughs) Uh, So that's one extreme. But the other extreme, I think, is to say that Every Christian believer is called to literally give every penny they have, distribute to the poor, have no home, any of that. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And I, I, I don't think that because, uh, simply because, well, I have a home, so I better read that into the text. Uh, if I'm doing that, I'd, I'll be accountable to God for that um, in all seriousness. But if you look even at the context here, look at, look at chapter 19 which we'll be at in, in just a few weeks here, Lord willing, uh, you have Zacchaeus. And it's interesting, Luke puts him right here. Zacchaeus is said to be rich. He's a tax collector. And if you look down at verse uh, 8, uh, as he comes to know the gospel, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, No, Zacchaeus, It's all of it. No, no. (laughs) He says, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's interesting, right? Zacchaeus presumably still had his home, still had his, maybe even his profession, we don't know. Uh, He makes restitution uh, in fourfold. He says, If I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to make it right. In other words, you have uh, throughout the Gospel of Luke of people using their riches 
in a way that glorifies God. You have uh, the women back in, I believe, Luke uh, 10, where it mentions these, these women who, whom Christ had ministered to who were now essentially funding his ministry, funding his ministry. Uh, all the way you get to the book of Acts, and you see the church in Acts 2 uh, willfully uh, giving of their goods for one another. Uh, and then you have the example of Ananias and Sapphira who lie about how much they're giving. They say they're giving it all, but they're not giving it all. Uh, and, and they die uh, for uh, their sin. But the sin wasn't that they didn't give it all. Their sin was that they lied and tried to make it seem as if uh, they were perhaps more spiritual than uh, they thought. In, in other words, it, it, in one sense, it would be more difficult if Jesus was literally saying every believer needs to cash out their bank account. But let's think about what is universal here. And I want to argue it's, it's probably harder than that. Because you could do that. You could... The rich ruler could have said amen and done that, and his heart could have been wherever. I mean, he could have just thought, if I do this, maybe I'll have eternal life. Or if I do this, I'll I'll look even better. What's Jesus calling every believer to here? He says, leave everything you have and come and follow me. That should sound very familiar. If you go to the beginning of Luke, that's what Jesus, Peter and his brother, leaving their profession, their home, to come follow Jesus, as they'll talk about in just a minute. Other disciples, some of them leaving their tax booth and coming and following him. And then Jesus has given this call of discipleship throughout, um, uh, uh, throughout the entire gospel of Luke. Uh, uh, he who does not um, uh, uh, comparatively hate even his own family, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. He who does not bear his own cross cannot be my disciple. He who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What does it profit this ruler if he would keep everything he had but lose himself? Jesus over and over again has been saying that the call of discipleship is comprehensive. It is everything. In some sense, it's even harder than the call to empty the bank account, which some Christians, missionaries or otherwise, are called to, literally. But it's even harder to say, wait a minute, this is all his. All of it's on loan. All of it's for his kingdom. It's not for my comfort, but for his glory. That's the call for each of us on our life. Have you taken that call? to follow Christ, to leave everything behind? Uh, or, or do you have one eye turned back at all times, you know, just in case? Do you have some things saved aside just in case the, this Jesus thing doesn't work? He calls you to give everything, your heart, yourself, your life, your bank account, all of it for him and for his glory. Uh, lest we think that we don't have a, a riches issue, Uh, I encourage you to read back over the Gospel of Luke. I mean, he starts by saying, blessed are the poor and and woe to the rich, not because riches in and of themselves are evil, and yet there's temptations that attend uh, to them. One commentator says this, Dear Lord, I've been rereading the record of the rich young ruler and his obviously wrong choice, but it has set me to thinking no matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride in a car, have any surgery he needed, turn on a light, buy penicillin, 
hear a pipe organ, watch TV, wash dishes and running water, type a letter, mow a lawn, fly an airplane. Uh, You get the idea. If he was rich, then what am I? Uh, Then what am I? Uh, The story is told of two 28-year-olds who went to the hotel Grand Canyon on New Year's Eve. Uh, As they watched the sun go down, they remembered that the hotel was full and they needed a place to stay. And so uh, the wife and her husband began to brainstorm, I'll bet the ranger station at the bottom of the canyon, I bet the ranger's lonely, especially tonight. Let's call him and see if, uh, uh, see if, how he would feel about us staying as his guests. Uh, the ranger's telephone number was in the book, and we dialed it, explaining our situation, uh, and offered to bring some groceries down. Gary, the ranger, said that he and his wife, Gina, would love the company. A half hour after dusk, we were on our way down, After an uneventful passage down the curving canyon, we arrived at the bottom. We were invited into the large cabin and served a nice dinner. Uh, They then showed us their, what they called their sports room. It was full of abandoned sports equipment, high-class hiking boots, expensive backpacks, fancy hats, and even even fancier walking sticks. People can easily walk, uh, easily enough walk down with all of this stuff, he said. Uh, They just can't walk out with it. I remember my wife and I, when we were first married, we could fit everything we owned in two sedans, right? Gone are those days. Uh, and some of it's out of necessity. I mean, you have kids and, and there's gear that comes along with that. But I think we so easily forget. We, again, as we tend, he just really had a wealth problem. And yet he wasn't surrounded by even the level of temptation we are. Again, wealth not being evil, but our relationship with it can be when we look to it for comfort, when we look to it for refuge, when we think it's our, it's our high tower that we can run to, when it might not always be there, and certainly one day it won't be there, what does it look like to trust Christ, to leave everything and follow him, surrender deceitful riches? Number three, gain everything in return. Gain everything in return. This is a radical call for this man who presumably walks the other way. He's very sad. It's interesting, in in one of the other gospel accounts, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give this account, and in in one of them, I believe Matthew, it says that Jesus, looking to him, loved him, and then said these things. In one sense, Jesus longed for this man to follow him. He was offering him a call to discipleship. Friend, if you've come this morning and and you're not sure, you weren't sure when you walked in if this Jesus is your Lord and your God and your Savior. Perhaps in the preaching of his word, even now, he's extending a hand to you. He's saying, leave everything and come and follow me. Find forgiveness at my cross, find life at my empty tomb, and come follow me. I'm with you to the end of the age. If, if that call sounds sweet to you this morning, Would you put your faith in Jesus right now? Would you lay it all for him? Even if you can't do the calculus and think, well, what does that mean for my wealth? And what does that mean for my family? You lay that at his feet and say, whatever it means, it's worth it. And Christian, if you've made that, uh, if you've made that commitment, if the Holy Spirit has brought you to a point at some point in your life where you've laid it all down for him, would you be reminded this morning that it's, it's costly 
It rips us away from our earthly comforts and pleasures and things that we use to cope, but we lose, we, we do lose. There's a cost to discipleship, but it's, like we said, it's an exchange. Lesser things for faithful, steadfast things. Um, fleeting things for ultimate things. Uh, sh- things that are like shifting sand for things that are like a bedrock that we could stand upon. Things that lead us astray, instead exchanging them for an anchor, a steadfast anchor for our soul. And so would you be reminded, would you hear Jesus' words anew this morning to leave everything and come and follow him? That's where joy is to be found. The disciples saw that starting in verse 28. Uh, They recognized, you know, we've left our homes and followed you. And Jesus, the king, no one that has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, and perhaps, Christian, you've literally left some of those things, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And in this time, especially through the church and our relationships with one another, we're given family, we're given a home. And then in the age to come, eternal life, the new heavens, the new earth, where righteousness dwells. We lose, we surrender all, but we gain everything. If God did not spare even his only son for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he did the hardest thing in giving up his son on the cross, how will he not give us what we need? How will he not change our hearts when they need changing? Uh, How will he not put to death sin in our life that we long to see mortified? How will he not give us the encouragement and strength we need to get through the next hour, the next day, the next week? He did the hardest thing on the cross, and so he will do that for us. The Christian life, then, is not simply self-denial for some sort of self-actualization. It's a great exchange, giving up all so that we would have the treasure that he has for us. Would you heed Jesus? We thank you that your word cuts to the heart, that it doesn't let us off the hook. Lord, where there are idols, we pray that you would reveal them in our hearts. Where we're trusting in things other than you, I pray that you would wrench our hearts from them and and put our trust in Jesus Christ and him alone as our strong tower, as our high rock. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do that. I pray even as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, uh, that you would be knitting our hearts one to another as believers, uh, that you would be anchoring us uh, to Jesus Christ, uh, the steadfast anchor of our souls as we look to him. Uh, be with us in the rest of this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.